0: energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when? And what do I do when? So that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you are here? I trust that you'll be glad to. Welcome, everyone. I am so glad you're here for this episode, and I am glad to be here too. And it's an honor to welcome Dr. Holly Caskell to today's uh, interview, to our chat. Hi.
1: Hi, it's nice to be here, and I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, we were
0: chatting a little bit before we got started that. You know, one of the things that we have in common is that we both have a background in psychology and we both have had our parenting shape and shaped by uh, and our families shaped by child development and and all that kind of stuff. So there's big intersections and overlaps in our in our work. And I often talk about this podcast being an intersection of my office couch and my living room couch. Yeah. I like that. And so so tell tell the listeners a little bit about what what brings you here today. How do your backgrounds deliver you to this chair right now?
1: Wonderful. Okay. Well, first, I will say that I that I am a psychologist also doing some similar work that you do, and I came to you by being at a psychology ethics conference and meeting up, uh, you know a, a colleague of yours who said you should really talk to Dr. Laura Anderson, and I was like, great, sign me up. So that's how I ended up here today. Um, the the thing that I'm most interested in talking about is just my experience as a parent of. Uh, particularly um an autistic teenager but i have also an adhd teenager and i myself have adhd so there's a lot of um there's a lot of neurodiversity going on in our family and i'm here to really talk about that
0: wonderful and as as we were saying i think there's such a sweet spot when when parents are willing to share their stories around this because it's the it's just the hardest thing we do <laughs> and sometimes we put additional pressure on ourselves and we have formal training about stuff as well right so so tell yeah. a little bit of the story with the the, uh, the adolescent who was sort of later diagnosed with an autism spectrum uh disorder quote unquote with an autism spectrum what what happened around that
1: yes so so my daughter uh ella Uh, you know, she was a very bright toddler, um, you know, early reader, really sweet, very polite. She thrived in Montessori school, you know, and she did well socially. I felt like in elementary school and, um, you know, she had a tendency toward rigidity and anxiety, but also, um, you know, I felt nothing about it. I just thought this is just personality. Um, she has a younger sister, so I have two girls who are only a year apart. And, you know, the younger one um, and the two of them were just really, really tight and, and close throughout their entire childhood. And so I never really thought anything about their personality differences. I thought this is just the way it is, you know, and it is. They're all unique, you know, no matter the fact that they come from the same DNA. Um, And then middle school happened and, uh, there was a lot more anxiety and a lot more difficulty managing emotions. We started for Ella, we started having these meltdown episodes. We started to really have a difficult time just getting along. I mean, me and her, you know, as a mom, I, I was like, what is happening? I mean, I had this impression of my daughter that she was, uh, you know rude and disrespectful and insensitive and you know i just had a lot of criticisms and judgments uh, of her and her social skills and her relationship you know skills and things were not going very well between her and her sister there was a lot of like i don't like you're bothering me leave me alone and we're thinking that this is normal you know she's now an older teenager she doesn't want her younger sister tagging along anymore so a lot of this was us just saying this is kind of normal development um But there was some significant anxiety, some significant irritability, some, um, you know, like I said, difficulty in relationships. And, you know, we took her to therapy. Uh, the, The therapists were like, well, you know, I mean, she shows up really well. She's super smart, very articulate. So the therapists were like, she seems fine because she also was really struggling to describe her suffering. So there was like a really difficult time for her to not know what's the point of therapy and what do I talk about in here? And I don't know how to describe my emotions. I don't know how to to, to use words to describe what's going on for me. And so even when I would try to understand what's going on, there was a lot of, I don't know, leave me alone, you know? I don't know, I don't wanna talk about it. And you ask me these questions is stressing me out, you know? <laughs> So we just had a real difficult time around eighth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, you know, and plus we're talking pandemic times as well. I mean, a pandemic hit when she was in ninth grade. So it was kind of like, you know, but just a lot of, a lot of stressors. Um, I also went through a divorce. So she was also dealing with the stress related to her parents divorcing. So we just kind of chalked it all up to that. And then as a psychologist, I happened to take a continue, continuing education course on girls with autism and how girls with autism show up differently. Um, and my partner at the time, uh, my partner now, um, they are also a therapist who works with, uh, uh, kids on the spectrum. And we were sitting there taking this course together and my partner says to me, you know, I, I'm pretty sure Ella is autistic. And I was like, no, 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 I would know. I would know if Ella was autistic because, you know, I'm a psychologist <laughs> and I know about autism, right? Because I watched videos and took courses in graduate school twenty over 20 years ago at this point, you know, which, where the, the understanding of autism and the research around autism was very specific to young boys, you know, nonverbal children presenting, you know, in a very kind of like high support needs kind of way. Yep. so. I was like, there's no way my child's autistic. And then I watched, I took this course and I learned about girls with autism and how they present differently. And every single thing that I heard, I was like, oh my goodness, this is definitely my daughter. And, you know, it was like one of these like huge moments of realization. And I talked to my daughter about it and I said, have you ever considered that maybe you're autistic? And her response was so intense. She looked at me and she went, yes. You know, it was like this really intense reaction that was very positive and, enth- and enthusiastic. And so, you know, I said, well, I think that might be what's going on. And she said, I think so too. I really think that's what's going on. And she said, how can we know? And I said, well, we, we'd we like to get you, you know, we'd have to get you maybe some psychological testing to find out, you know, if we could get, to, if a diagnosis would be appropriate for you. And so pretty much every day after that, she would ask me, did you, did you get me an appointment? Or when are we going to do the testing? I mean, it was like, something that she was really excited, but anxious to get done. Um, and we did find a psychologist who was able to do a full evaluation with her and did diagnose her with autism. And pretty much ever since then, the way that I understand, uh, the way she understands herself, the way that we communicate, the way that I perceive her behavior, her body language, her language, language. <laughs> Her tonal voice. I mean, pretty much everything about the way we interact and how I perceive her has shifted for the positive. Um, you know, there were some difficult times. Don't get me wrong, um, because she still has anxiety, and you know, the senior year of high school was really hard. <laughs> yeah. um, but she just finished her freshman year in college, and she thrived. She's doing really, really well. Nice. Our um, relationship is much better than it was during those difficult times, and. You know, I just feel really grateful for having had that experience. And, you know, in, in no way am I judging myself for not having known that she was autistic, you know? Um, it just says a lot about what we do and don't know about autism and girls with autism in particular. So I'm really happy to be here to talk about that.
0: Yeah, and I think it's what's so interesting, right, is over the years, and I've been school-based for for a number of years, and watching families Parents and families struggle a little bit with the concept of an evaluation and a diagnosis and not wanting labels. And and I don't I understand completely. I understand people's worried about having a label, having it identified in a system, you know, what does it mean if I don't want I don't want more attention drawn to this, I don't want my kid to feel broken, quote unquote, right? Because they have a label. And yet, time and time again. Uh, More often of what I see is the process you're talking about, where the label the way that I approach it is the labels only as helpful as the understanding it communicates and the direction it sends you for like, well, what do we do now on Tuesday? Like, you know, because the other thing I say a lot in this is the story we tell ourselves about our kids behavior the Mm -hmm. whys behind our kids' behavior has a ton to do with how we actually show up and engage them and either escalates things and absolutely has everybody feeling misunderstood like what are some of the things that you now know were really specific to an autism diagnosis in girls
1: yeah that's a great question thank you for that so for her in particular One of the things that's most difficult for her that showed up, especially in the testing, was not being able to read facial expressions, not not being able to identify what is going on emotionally for the other person. So any kind of shift and and at the same time, and I think this is true of, of kids on the spectrum, is they're highly sensitive to shifts in energy or shifts in body language. You know, they notice when something is different, but they can't explain what it is. They don't Mm -hmm. know why. And so it's very anxiety provoking. And I think one of the things, about ella and about girls on the spectrum is that you know this there's a stereotype or this generalized belief that there's a lack of interest in social relationships because and that's why some people will just dismiss a girl as potentially on the spectrum because she has friends or because she likes people or she wants to be in relationships and that is not true for the majority of girls who are on on the spectrum and so ella is very interested in friends she's always had a best friend you know she's Mm -hmm. not like a group of friends kind of person although she does socialize in groups um but she really values that one-on-one relationship with someone that she understands yeah. and that she can trust so the problem that we would be having is that as a mom you know i would have a shift in my energy right i would get irritated or i would have a i would have a moment where i'm like disapproving of her or maybe even i'm having a moment where i'm stressed out about a work thing or i'm stressed out or maybe I'm just tired, but she doesn't know how to interpret that. So she would become afraid that I was mad at her or that, you know, I was in a place that caused her stress. And so she would then want to avoid having interaction with me or that she would then assume something based on her guessing what was actually happening in the dynamic, in the dynamic between us. Um, and that would create a lot of problems. Um, But yeah, the amount of sensitivity, the amount of empathy that she has, she has a very big heart. She really, really wants to be kind. She wants, she's extremely loyal. She's like one of the most loyal kids. Even as as a kid, I'd say, Hey, what's happening with your friend? And she'd say, that's none of your business. That's only her private business. You know, (laughs) I was like, Oh my gosh, this girl will never gossip. You know, she's just incredibly like loyal and, and, uh, you know, principled in that way. So, um the the sensitivity, the empathy paired with not knowing how to read social cues was a really painful combo for her. Yeah. Um, and she's learned to cope with it. She has some skills now. She knows how to ask. Like she'll come to my partner and say, okay, is she upset? You know? Uh, yeah. And my partner will say, no, not at all. That That was just a, you know, She was frustrated with the frying pan, you know, being missing, (laughs) you know, like, who knows? It was just a little thing, but no, it's not something for you to worry about.
0: I think that's super important to clarify for folks, right? Because there is, it is nuanced and it, it, it's like changing lenses when you're looking at behaviors because, uh, right, a lot of the time people, do they have friends? Do they want friends? Can they, can they, do they notice how other people are feeling is a different question from, right. Are they interpreting that do they, you know, can they imagine, can they take the perspective of other folks around really hard? What can you imagine them doing so that, that yes. And for girls in particular, because we're so socialization heavy and any number of other reasons we, that girls by default develop social skills in different ways that we don't always expect male identifying, uh, people to, and for whatever other reasons are involved, we miss um, the, the nuances there. And sometimes it's conflicted. Sometimes it's conflict for folks who do have, um, girls. Sometimes it's that they're like, what there's, there is always conflict. There is a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of accusation, so to speak. And, and I think unfortunately we've all, we've come to, well, girls can just be so fill in the blank, you know? And I'm like,
1: Y- yeah. Yep. Intense. Yes. Emotional.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: um, yeah. I mean, we when we when we before we had the diagnosis, you know, she was seeing a therapist, we thought maybe a mood stabilizer was the appropriate thing to try. Um, because we're like, you know, she'd be fine one minute and would have a complete meltdown the next minute. And so we're like, what in the heck? There's no emotional regulation here, right? Yeah. Um, and of course that wasn't a good treatment. That's not what she needed. Um, We didn't do that for very long. But um, the other thing I would say is that girls are highly motivated to develop masking skills. And Ella was, is, was very good at masking because she's also highly intelligent, right? So she's super smart and she studies people. She learns from them. Like, oh, this is how you say that thing. This is how you answer a telephone. This is how you, mm-hmm. you know, speak to an adult. And so she would always come across as just the most put together, you know, the most sweet, polite, articulate kid. Um, you know, and and I think that is another way that these diagnoses or the nuances, the subtleties of the, of the struggle underneath gets missed because there's this like girl here who wants, you know, to be fitting in, to be liked and to, to do well in school and all these kinds of things. And so the masking was really hiding a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Um, and so there would be these meltdowns, you know, it would be fine one minute and just like, I can't function the next. Um, and I would be so confused as a mom. Like I thought you were fine. And when I ask you how you are, you say you're fine. You know? Right. So, Because there's this alexithymia too, there's this like tendency to not be able to describe, like, I don't know why I'm crying right now, I don't know why I feel like throwing things, I don't know why I I can't get out of my bed and I don't want to leave my room, like, these things, uh, there's, it's hard to talk about it, it's hard to support her, um, it was hard to support her because I, there was nothing to talk about. You know, it was overwhelming. It was really a sensory overload, our own emotions, and then me trying to help, and then it just made it worse. And so now we get it.
0: And often, not for all kids on the spectrum, but often, ironically, for those of us in helper roles, either as parents or clinicians and therapists, we rely on verbal problem solving and question and answer and declarative memory. We want people to tell us what happened and at right. what point they And yet that is not a specialty for folks on the spectrum. They are not. I mean, can't make huge generalizations about everybody, but typically One of the biggest things that changes in families and in offices for me is just using a lot more alternative forms of communication, visual stuff, drawings, maps, decision trees. (laughs) Like, I don't know whether that kind of stuff helps, but even just that that both and why exactly what's the neuro mechanism so that when kids who are having big feelings are also being asked to process questions auditorily about those feelings and yeah. then describe in sequence right. what and why there's a breakdown in multiple steps for those in kids yeah, and so exactly then you know caregivers are frustrated because you know as parents we we don't we just want to help we want the behavior stop but we also want our kid to be comfortable right like so we're like i'm ineffective i'm i'm failing at this like both of us feel like we're failing in that situation and so that's another reason why you know, and to your point earlier about trying some medication, the an accurate label, quote unquote, an accurate yes. diagnosis can really help shape the kind of help that will help. Just for the, the diagnosis. diagnosis made all the difference.
1: Wow! And, my understanding of the diagnosis made all the difference in how I show up as parent for my daughter.
0: And and I think to the point, and I remember a colleague of mine who specialized in anxiety in autism spectrum disorders far before I did, and. I remember her saying when I was early in my learning career, I remember her saying, you know what? I've actually seen kids, especially, you know, middle adolescence and late adolescence, early to late adolescence, really like. Be relieved at the thought that there is this organizing thing that can help them understand themselves best. Because one of the other things I see is that, and and you were referencing this in terms of the masking, there's learning can be kind of formulaic, right? Like they want to know the form. What's the formula for me to join? What's the right way to do it? Yes. What are the rules? What's the formula? Give me like, if I can learn that, I can do it. And the same is true with the diagnosis, right? Like, okay, so there's this thing. What do I need to learn about it? oh that's why i x y that's why kids look at me when this happens that's why i struggle and and then they they don't there's there's more clarity because there's also beautiful strengths that come along with autism spectrum. Totally. I mean, talk about your, like how would your daughter and or other folks on the spectrum, what are the strengths that you see? So, so as folks are listening, we're not just deficit focused.
1: <laughs> right, well, I mean, I think that I, I, I spoke a little bit to Ella in particular, I mean, like I said, she is one of the most empathic, yeah. sensitive to energy, and principled people I know, right? Like she is the most loyal friend yeah. I've ever seen. You know, she would do, she would do anything for her friends. Um, and she's very trustworthy in that way. Um, you know, she's, she's also, because she's sensitive and ironically perceptive of, of, of certain things, like she's the one who notices when somebody hasn't unloaded the dishwasher (laughs) and she unloads it, (laughs) you know, she's that person who will notice and will just do it and not, and not, uh, feel like, you know, she has to be resentful. I mean, she's actually quite sensitive to other people's needs and, you know, she's so much easier to get along with now because I'm not overwhelming her.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right? Right. Yeah. And knowing how to approach her, what, what, because the, the understanding the overwhelm is important piece too i think of kids yeah. on the spectrum that that sometimes parents think that when kids say they're done or they have to tag out or they need time alone or they just right. need to be left alone that it is that adolescent you know door slamming when when really sensory overload is something that a lot of kids again can't put words to they just know that there's too many things coming at them from too many angles and they need to minimize the input they need to either quiet the noise or limit what they're looking at or move some or move less (laughs) like when you think about it and I do a couple of episodes around sensory interventions and how they changed my family as well but even just understanding that it's not a willful defiance it is not
1: not disrespectful
0: yes it's so important because there really is something to that that um for a lot of kids the sensory piece is also a a distinct piece lots of kids um have elements of it but when there is an autism spectrum understanding we do see and that can make them seem particular they won't eat certain things they won't put certain things on they need to leave certain type of places so they're they're needing unexpected things for the environment right. and it looks behavioral, but it actually the yes. way that I talk to people, the parents to try to get to understand, it's like it's like the noise at a f- street festival or something is like a fire hose in a kid's face. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> if they're intact. exactly and I've experienced all of those things. I've experienced her being sensor sensorally mm-hmm. was the word, overwhelmed in so many different ways where I perceived it and criticized it as a behavioral problem or an attitude problem or, you know, uh, uh, even just an emotional regulation problem, Um, insensitivity, rudeness. I mean, I probably was the biggest judge on the planet for, you know, in her life at a certain period of time, because I had expectations of her as, as you know, to be a good kid, to live the values that I've taught and all of this kind of stuff, but in reality, she has those values she just was overwhelmed and you know she also has um hearing loss and wears hearing aids so i think even the sensory overload auditorily we can probably have a whole theoretical conversation about that because there's no there's no um they can't find an etiology for her hearing loss you know it's just kind of like her brain is just like no 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 i don't think so we're gonna go ahead and turn that down yeah so she it's interesting, right? Um, But uh, the other thing I would say is emotional intensity is a type of sensory overload as well. Like when we talk about, you know, there's a research on emotion and how like just taking a Tylenol can actually help emotional pain because it is literally physiological pain that we're experiencing. So I think that that's something that helps me understand her too, Mm -hmm. that the intense emotions also become painful like literally painful for her to to try to cope with and, and me talking at her trying to quote unquote help <laughs> is the worst kind of help and that that is the thing that has changed is that i really know how to keep uh, to give her the space and the distance that she needs i know how to say things with less words I'm very talkative. I am your typical ADHD, wordy, hyperactive, impulsive, like high energy, you know, just like a butterfly everywhere all the time. And so our personalities are pretty much opposite in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've learned, I've learned to adjust. I've learned to show up in a way that will actually be perceived as supportive. And that took me shifting in a huge way.
0: Yeah. Tell me how you said a little bit that she was excited about the thought of having the evaluation done. Some kids may or may not be. What was the helpful part of the feedback to her? Like what what resonated with her having a way, one version of a way to understand what was going on for her?
1: I think the feedback was more than anything, just really validating you know, she was able to hear some of the details of the aspects of autism that she experiences um, and it put a bunch of things that seemed unrelated, like the anxiety, the rigidity, the sensory overload, the, um, you know, the, the tendency toward depression, the meltdowns, like, All of the the difficulty understanding people's social cues and facial expressions, the almost total inability to describe her own internal experience with words. Like these things all seemed like they were unrelated, and yet when she got her feedback and the psychologist was saying, here's here's a type of, you know, here's one of the symptoms, and here's here's one of the examples of the subtests and how you scored and what that means. And it was just really validating for her. I think it was also helpful because her dad and I had very different perceptions of her. Like I was probably the one having the most difficulty engaging as far as I wanted to be there supporting her emotionally and she was having these meltdowns dad wasn't seeing that very often because he wasn't trying to have those kind of conversations with her and there was a lot of she was able to mask very effectively with him so for her to hear him receive the feedback Mm -hmm. and and you know just sort of like say wow I didn't realize you were going through all of this I think was really really helpful for her
0: wow yeah And I think, yes, and I hear that time and time again, that it isn't, it's not a ceiling, it's not a a limit, it is a way of understanding how problem solving can happen more easily, how communication, de-escalation, soothing, studying, (laughs) right? Like there are really, there's a lot of implications around when you understand that there's wiring and firing happening this way and you start to see patterns and 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 trends and there's sort of you know i talk about it as the hub of the wheel being you know the this thing you know to call it and then there are spokes and 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 you may not see that there is a hub especially with girls um and especially with kids who are bright and capable in many ways they mask they're not coming to attention did did the school what what was this what would the school perception like how did anything show up at school that had them questioning or was she able to compensate enough with the academics or things that it that it wasn't highlighted at school
1: yeah she was totally able to compensate with academics and her you know formal social presentation was very poised so nobody ever saw her struggle at school her teachers never did Mm. you know her her friends may have um but yeah it would it would all come out at home and mostly just with me and her sister um so interestingly though you know i wonder what it would have been like in high school if she didn't spend you know two years basically doing online school with the pandemic because her sophomore and junior year of high school was during the pandemic um yeah so i think I don't know what it would have been like, but I I do believe that she would have really struggled to take herself off to college and live on her own and be in a room with roommates her freshman year, you know, if she didn't have this understanding of herself and what she needs, because she's also learned to advocate for herself. Like she she now has no problem saying, that's not going to work for me. Or I'm not going to do that or I'm we've really talked a lot about noticing when she starts to get to that place where she's going to have a meltdown or where she's like, I'm done Mm -hmm. sensory overload or any other kind of overload and she now has an improved skill of pulling herself out of that situation before that happens. Because she used to think if I leave a social situation because I'm overwhelmed, then that's going to hurt people's feelings. That's going to be seen as rude. And she doesn't want to do that. So she would keep herself in these situations where she's starting to feel like I'm going to lose it yeah. because she didn't want to be rude. But then she would lose it And you know, it would be a bad situation socially for her. So it was like understanding now we get it. So let's talk about what is the less rude thing? Like what is the actual respectful thing to do for yourself and for others is to say, I'm, I've hit my, you know, my limit, I'm going to take a break and that is okay and it should be okay it's not okay with somebody then maybe they shouldn't be your friend you know i mean so there's a totally different perspective that she has now on herself and what she needs and what rights she has and how to take care of herself how to communicate Um, and so she lived in a small dorm room with two other roommates three people living in a room that was supposed to be only for two people really effectively she's like i need the top bunk because i don't ever want anyone up there on my bed like that would be that you know (laughs) i would not be okay with that so give me the top um yeah and she found the places that she likes to study and places where she has alone time and she ended up joining a sorority um and this sorority actually has a local um uh, charity for autism as their philanthropy so she was like i want to be a part of that um She's taken on some, you know, positions on committees because she's all about the spreadsheets and she's all about, you know, the rules and the, you know, the the kind of like, what, what do you call it? The, the, the governance of a Greek organization like actually really fits with her, um, you know, sort of desire for structure and rules and all of that. So and she's think- thriving in the way that she can. And that's another
0: great, like when I mean, you've talked about some other things that that clinicians know too, like attention to detail and noticing small things that, that other people might not in the visual environment comes up right. for folks. Mastering knowledge, mastering information, yeah. wanting order in the information that you do know, liking yeah. clearly defined tasks that you yeah. can uh, get through can be a part of a process for folks as well. Yeah. And you also tapped into one that I that that we discussed that isn't written up in any DSM, but boy, oh boy, do we see it when we hang out in, in groups of kids is the fairness the and they that these justice that's what they can make some of the greatest like social justice warriors absolutely out there because they're like there is a right and a wrong and here is the formula to being you know on the right side of this issue and and yeah that's not now it can be now to be fair, to be fair, that's funny. To to note that it is also challenging in families because they may be the kid freaked out about what's fair between siblings. Right. What wasn't fair in the game you played when you're trying to work with a younger right. sibling to kind of go yeah. with the flow, right? So, so sometimes the, that that sense of right righteousness can yeah. can be an interesting parenting growth area. But right. the, there's something about fairness, rule following, like that 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 you can also then work with again these are ways to understand okay well this is a value my kid has and how can i explain the situation in terms of what's what would be fair and how can we navigate this and and that kind of stuff so so yeah there's something about fairness in 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 rules in games in Uh life and 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 categorical kind of black and white good and bad right. thinking around that kind of stuff that yep, that yep. comes up but can be yep. hard is to be a tremendous leadership thing and
1: Right. so the you know if you can turn it into a task that you know a, a learning task of how do we learn to tolerate injustice yeah. <laughs> in certain ways like yeah. how can we acknowledge yes that wasn't fair mm-hmm. and i wish we could do something about that like yeah. i wish that we could take that injustice away and yet how do we how do we mitigate it how do we sit with it how do we do something else somewhere else to try to keep balance like there's yeah. all these different ways to talk about it but yeah for sure yeah and she's a math major now and you know so that makes a lot of sense right she's she loves numbers she loves math and she's thriving in that environment
0: yeah that's all of this stuff is just so I think you know for folks who are are listening, <laughs> this is the parenting stuff is just tricky, right? And psychology, we're doing the best we can with patterns and themes and and groups of data that we learn to try to understand and predict. And 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 yet it's, you know, there are murky pieces to it, right? Sometimes you're too close as a parent to really be able to see the threads and the patterns. And we have not understood enough about autism in girls and the way that it looks different um, in girls and or I also think milder autism, even in male identified folks, that right. it, we're not as good at that, right? Like for a long time, people say, why are all these numbers of, you know, autism increasing? And the the numbers of moderate to severe autism are not increasing dramatically, but right. mild autism is being picked up on because before... Right you know, people were just thought of as quirky or odd or, and girls were thought of as high maintenance, particular, uh, like whatever, diagnosed with things like
1: borderline personality disorder or severe anxiety disorders. Yeah. Yep. And stuff
0: like that. So this is an invitation. Like if you, if you're just. If something is really tricky in this in your relationship with your kid, or you can see that they have these wonderful strengths and yet are also having these struggles, that if you're if you're worried about an evaluation, that it's an invitation to really you know talk to your pediatrician. Like, how did you find out? I know you're in the business. If you're your parent sitting here who thinks, oh, I do, I would like some kind of evaluation. What do you see? I mean, you can go through your. Sometimes they can do depending on where you are in the country and what resources are yeah. all in the world. Pediatricians I don't think many
1: schools are doing autism diagnoses.
0: You know, yeah, true. So an evaluation But they can
1: maybe give yeah, referrals.
0: Yeah, that's what I'd like talk to people in the community, school based personnel who right. worked well, pediatricians who've worked well for a while. And again, yeah. don't be surprised if you're parenting a child who may have higher functioning autism. Do not be surprised if the pediatrician who knew them younger says, What? No, because they're also still looking for some of the more major exactly. signs of repetitive behaviors and lack of eye contact and lack right. of social interest so, totally. so just seek out the pediatrician to find out whom they do refer to look specifically for folks who have experience right. with autism and high functioning autism right. and don't be afraid that these evaluations lead to a ceiling or a sense of brokenness that can absolutely really
1: hopeful also the results of an evaluation are confidential information it's not like you're now quote in the system i don't even know what that means i mean you know you 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 have the power to share this information or not yeah So, I mean, and I think that's true, you know, information is power, knowledge is power, right? So the more knowledge you have about what might be going on for your child or or for yourself, if you're an adult listening to this and wondering if you're on the spectrum, um, you know, it, it just can never hurt to have more information. And then you can decide what you want to do with it. It might help you. You might get accommodations at school or at work that could really support you. Or it might help you find a social group of other people who you can really connect to. Or maybe you read some books or get some blogs or, you know, find some social media groups that you can be a part of where you feel you feel seen you might feel understood you might understand yourself better and it's it's just it's it's a culture to be a part of possibly but it can also be that you never ever think twice about it you dismiss it and you're like whatever i don't agree and then you know that's your choice and i think that's important yep don't be afraid of knowledge
0: yeah right and then yes and you're still able to decide how you're going to approach it and yeah there's inside your family system in terms of can it clarify some misunderstandings in your family's case it dramatically shifted a relationship and allowed for a lot of repair and a lot of further understanding and and that's that's why we do what we do that's our hope right
1: and so and as a parent that's what we're trying to do i mean even when we are parent, even when we have, are a parent or are working with parents who are really struggling, it's very possible they're judging themselves. It's very possible therapists are looking at parents and saying, oh, it's parent who's the problem. You know, the other parent's not doing this right, not doing that right. And the reality is all of us are doing the best job that we can and we love our kids. Like, I think it's a very rare situation where you have a parent who actually doesn't love their kid and doesn't want what's best for their kid and isn't trying to do their best. Right. Right. So having that compassion, having that curiosity, having the, uh, sort of open mind to helping parents understand their kid or helping as a parent, helping yourself understand your kid, learning from other people, you know, um, I think that you can't go wrong.
0: Yeah. And there were, yeah, there are practical tips. There are ways that you were able to figure out how to approach your daughter that are more successful. There's ways to help her plan for things. There are ways to predict stuff. There are coping skills that she developed specifically. There are escalation strategies and de-escalation strategies that are more helpful for certain kinds of kids dealing with certain kinds of things. So there's a lot of both bigger picture, relational healing and repair stuff that's possible, mm-hmm. but also like, what do I do on Tuesday? Get me through yeah, dinner yeah, on yeah. Wednesday. Like, get us out the door in the morning without an epic <laughs>
1: throwdown. <laughs> <Kind> <laughs> of yeah, we We use some cool tools like whiteboards, you know, where like sort of I'm available to talk right now versus I'm not available to talk. So even even saying, how are you sometimes was a trigger. So if there was ever a time that, she, you know, she was like, don't, don't even, I, I don't even want you looking at me. I don't want you talking to me. Like she would put it up on the board and I would see it. You know, we have it in the kitchen. So it's kind of a big deal. That that tool was like an aha moment. Um, but ultimately as a parent, I had to do my own work. Yeah. You know, I really had to, it's not about me it's not about my kid needs to respect me and behave the way I expect them to behave. You know, it was really about I need to step back and check my expectations, check my assumptions, my perceptions um, and learn how this particular child needs to be parented because the other child is just like me and very, very easy to parent (laughs) for me,
0: you know? Yeah. And that's a lot of what I do on this podcast is speak to parents who are parenting kids that are on different journeys. From their own. Yeah. And I, and I think there really is an especially sweet spot to hang out in terms of that, like wow i wouldn't do any of this that way but okay we're in this together how do we need yeah. to figure out what's going to work so then neither of us feels as if we're failing as often as we each feel as if we've been failing yeah. right like that's the whole exactly. so well thank you very much as i know parents are going to appreciate this greatly i am so appreciative of your time and your candor about just just being able and being willing to be open and rethink what you know and get some support and try some different stuff, right? And then be willing to share with other parents. Sometimes parenting can feel really isolated. And so totally. I'm grateful for your time. Thank you very much for yeah. joining.
1: It's been a blast chatting with you. Thank you for having
0: me. Sure, we'll have to do it again.
1: Yeah, I've got a lot to talk about, so.
0: <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> Thanks, Holly. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlaraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.